Amen. Thank you, Pastor John, leading us tonight, and uh, what simple yet at the same time profound words. That should be our prayer. God, glorify Your name through me. So thank you, brother, leading us tonight. If you would take your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. So if you recall from the last few weeks, we have been working our way through this uh, final vision of our forever home. John is, is now, now at a place where um, all things as we know it have passed away. He sees a new heaven and a new earth and the holy city, New Jerusalem. And so chapter 21 through 22, verse 5, is, is perhaps the Bible's most complete description we have of our forever home. And so, let, let me again just emphasize something in terms of, I don't know if you'd call it timing, chronology, and I'll go ahead and, and clue you in. This, this topic is going to be this instead of this. Does that make sense to make that hand motion? In other words, there's some of the stuff you're just not going to have every bit of detail that you want, right? This is going to be one of those times where, where God does not tell us everything He could tell us, but He told us everything He wanted to tell us, right? All right, so just keep in mind that heaven exists right now, all right? Heaven exists right now. Pastor, what does it look like? I've never been, all right? Never had a vision. Apparently only gives that to four-year-old boys, all right? I've never, I've never been to heaven. I've never seen it, uh, never walked it, none of that. I don't know what it looks like, but I do know that it, it, is, it is a place of God's perfect presence where He rules and reigns. I do know it is heaven because the triune God is there. I do know it's way better than what we have here and now. And, and I'm confident that when we die, our soul leaves this body and goes to the presence of the Lord. And, and, and we enjoy His presence forever. Now the day will come at this time when all the end time stuff happens. The day will come when in the midst of, of Christ's return and establishing His kingdom and, and us, you know, Him wrapping up human history as we know it, this includes the resurrection of the dead. And so we know that when this comes, there will be a time where God will then provide a physical yet heavenly body to go with the soul, and that will be how we will live in eternity. Pastor, I've got a hundred questions about that. You're not thinking hard enough. You should have way more. All right? You should have about a thousand questions about that. I, I mean, I understand there is a profoundness to it. There's a majesty and a mystery to this. But in terms of how the Bible describes it, that is the case. That there, there will then be this moment when... We, we will be resurrected, all right? When, when soul and body will be united 
and we will enjoy then our forever home. And the Bible then describes that that forever home has a unique and distinct geographical feature to it, not yet in existence as we would know it. There'll be a new heaven and new earth. Not a new heaven in terms of a new place where God dwells, but a new heavens and new earth. At which point then, a heavenly city, a new Jerusalem will come down out of the sky. It's how John describes it. and will take up its place in the midst of the new heaven and the new earth. That's what Revelation 21 and 22 is describing. This final place, all right, this, this final location where God's people then will dwell forever and ever. So, so again, there are undoubtedly questions about the gap, right? The gap between now and then. If you would like to read more about this, we've talked about this. There are the, the theological term associated with it is called the intermediate state. And I've got a feeling it dives deeper than maybe most of us are willing to go, all right? In other words, you might have other things to study than the intermediate state. But if you hearing that word think, wow, that really jazzes me up, intermediate state, that's exactly what I want to know about, all right, let me know, okay? Uh, and I'll pass along some stuff to you. But I, but I do want to make sure we have that in context. Again, whether we call that chronology or geography or both, but there, there is heaven now, but it takes on elements that are described here that are not the experience. I would contend these that we have um, had memorial services for, they're not yet seeing what John describes here in John 21. That doesn't mean they're not in heaven. It just means they're not, it's not this yet. And that's okay. Because no matter what it is, it's better, all right? So no matter what it is, it's better. Okay, so we've been looking then at this, this description of our final eternal home. Uh, we've been looking at it in terms of its greatness and then its glory. And so just so you know, I'm using the word heaven, and perhaps I've caused some confusion with some folks now that I think about it. I'm using the word heaven in its most general sense to describe that place where we will enjoy our forever reward, all right? That, that, that is heaven, where we will enter into our forever reward. And so, though this is describing a new heaven, a new earth, and a holy city coming down, so there could be some, you know, some confusion there, the word heaven then being attached to all of this. All right, so, so we looked last week then at heaven's glory, and we were in the section that uh, is looking at heaven's glory in terms of how it's constructed. We looked at its walls, gates on um, 12 gates, so three on each side. We looked at the foundations. We talked about the references there uh, to the, the names of the tribes being on the gates, the names of the apostles being on the foundation. And then we got into the dimensions of it. So verse 16, just to kind of run up to what we're going to be finishing out with tonight, verse 16, the city is laid out as a square, its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. 
Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is of an angel. All right, so the, the walls here, its dimensions are described as being significant. Um, this would equate to, and I mentioned this last week, 1,500 miles in each direction, Fif- meaning 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep. That creates a space that was identified as 2.25 million square miles. It would be the equivalent of 60% of the United States. And according to estimates, that would hold with great comfort 8 to 10 billion people. 8 to 10 billion. So, I I will go ahead and say the Jehovah's Witnesses are way off, all right? Uh, The 144,000, that's not it. There's going to be plenty of wiggle room here. And so this place is, again, it is described with an immensity that we could hardly fathom. All right, now take a look at its materials. Then, Then materials of the walls are described. Verse 18, the construction of its wall was of jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. Just as a reminder, this is the best human language can do to describe something that is otherworldly. And so when you say gold, clear glass, I think it's the best that John can do. A gold so pure, it is transparent. So pure that it's transparent, all right? The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysopras, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Now, we're not going to go through each of these jewels, all right? Uh, you, You could certainly look those up. I don't think the point is to make a point of each of the jewels. In, in fact, some of them are really tricky to identify. Some of them, they, can't, they, they aren't really sure what this might be, what it is referring to. I, I don't think the point is to get into the exact details of all of the things. Instead, and here's, here's what I think it's getting at. Notice again, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. I don't think that means that you had like several feet of just regular old-fashioned brick and then a stone was stuck in it. I think the thing is full of it. I, I, I think this is a way to describe majesty, brilliance, beauty beyond imagination, that, that it, is, it is something worthy of God. Again, the best way I can do this, and we've tried to do this along the way, the best way I could help us understand this, think of the most beautifully constructed thing you've ever seen. And it's a slum compared. Think of the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. 
Think about the most beautiful buildings in the world. Think think of the the, the, the magnificent cathedrals. It's 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 like a little outhouse shack. All right, compared to what this is describing, that's its point. The point is to go out of its way. The text, God is going out of his way to show John what this place looks like as a way to reinforce to us this world is way better than the world we live in now. The world to come is way better than the one we live in now. And I think that helps provide correction because I I think a lot of folks get in their mind that heaven is like, Life here, except with all the stuff I don't like. Even if you removed from your life now all the stuff you don't like, it's still worse than what heaven will be. And you could go ahead and fill that in however you want. Whatever you describe, it's not going to be as good as what this place is going to be. That's what it's trying to describe to us. And notice notice again, not just the, the, the jewels... Uh, that in essence make up the foundation, but the gates, each gate was one solid pearl. You know, some have speculated, again, keep in mind, how many gates are there? Twelve. Three on each side. How high are the walls? Fifteen hundred miles. Some have speculated that the gates would be about that tall. That's a big pearl, all right? That is one big pearl. Again, it doesn't mean that somewhere in heaven there's a gigantic oyster, all right, that is producing the universe's most gigantic pearls, all right? This is all John had. This is the only thing he had in his mind Uh, to be able to communicate what he sees. Again, it's talking about something of pure beauty. And then to describe the street of the city was pure gold. That's an interesting statement to me. I don't know if there's much to be made of it. Is that singular or plural? What does it say? The street, all right? You know, people read that and you, you you kind of think, oh, what does that mean? Because I always hear people talk about the pearly gates, right? Okay, yes, check. And the streets of gold. Now you say, pastor, it's 1,500 miles. There's got to be more than one street. Well, maybe so. But I know what that, that talks about a street that's gold, okay? Now, we don't want to get wrapped up in all these details, like I said. I mean, to some degree we do, but we also want to let it stand for its much larger thing. It's giving us the materials by which it is made as a way to indicate how glorious this city is. And that this is what we long for. This city, not made with hands. This is what Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 10, describing Abraham, said that he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In fact, Chapter 13, verse 14 is going to go on and say, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. We long for the city, this city, the holy city, the heavenly city, that which represents all that we could possibly imagine to be heaven in its greatness and in its 
and in its glory. And again, it's a way then to contrast what is the nature of life here, what is the temporary nature of life here, and what is something less than what God has promised us. So, the glory in its materials. Number two, we see glory in the way it is sustained. Notice the way that heaven is sustained. Verse 22, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Now, this, this is a, there's a lot of mystery to this statement as well. First, taking up the reference there, but I saw no temple in it. Now, that right away, some may be thinking, oh, okay, hold on, there seems to be a problem, because I seem to recall references in the Bible to heaven's temple or heaven's tabernacle. All right, keep in mind, we are talking about two different locations. It's the best word I can use to describe it. We're talking about two different locations. When we talk about heaven's temple... Usually there's one of two options that are mentioned. One, that to talk about heaven's temple is to talk about God Himself. That it, it is God Himself. Other, others suggesting that what we call heaven, the place where God's throne is, uh, is a place that, that is a heavenly temple and that the earthly temple, tabernacle temple, were, were then built with that image in mind. But again, where are we talking about here? We're talking about the holy city, right? We are talking about the new Jerusalem. Think about that in contrast to the old Jerusalem. Jerusalem as it is now, right? Jerusalem as it would have been in John's day. Jerusalem as they would have known it in the Old Testament. What was the significance of this place and of this temple? This was the place where God manifested His presence. It was also the place where ritualistic, sacrificial aspects were conducted in order to maintain fellowship with God. I don't need that in the new place. Now, you and I as believers don't need a temple period, right? We do not need a physical, literal temple period. We have become the temple of God. And so, taking all of that theology and bringing it over here, of course the new Jerusalem has no temple in it. There's no need for it. God need not rebuild the temple in the new city. Because again, notice what it says, For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Keep in mind, the language of tabernacle temple was fundamentally language that described the presence of God among the people. That's its significance theologically. Uh, In fact, that's tabernacle meant meant tent, tent of dwelling. And so for for God then to be with us, and Revelation 21 has already said this, this is the nature of this place, that God will be with us. He shall be our God. We shall be His people. There's not going to be any kind of barrier between us and Him. There's not going to be any, uh, any kind of uh, ritual required or, or thing we've got to do in order to get to God, all right? They'll, 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 again, there's no barrier. The Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
And then just to go on and describe the glory of this. So, so I, I don't need a temple and what it's spiritually and theologically represented because I have the fullness of it in the triune God. Verse 23, the city then also had no need of sun or the moon. The glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. So new heaven and new earth? There's, there's not a sun like what we have now. It's a new heaven and new earth. It's just not like what we know here. It's better. It's the full and unrestricted presence of Christ, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And so part of, part of its glory then is just this, how it is sustained. It is sustained by the very presence of God Himself. And then finally, note the way heaven is inhabited. The way heaven is inhabited. Verse 24, And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall be no means enter it. There shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So this once again reiterates, emphasizes who belongs here. The redeemed. Those who belong to Christ. Those whose names were in the Lamb's book of life. And, and so kings and, and nations, and notice that language. It's not just the, the Jewish people. It's every tribe, tongue, and nation. They will bring their glory. It doesn't mean that they have glory like God has glory. It means they, they will come in in the fullness of their salvation. Now, let me also suggest that the reference here, <clears throat> again, there's a new heaven and a new earth. I would contend that this holy city that comes down is not the only place we'll have access to. The gates are open. I would contend we go in and out. And I know I can see your brains working. Pastor, what are we going to do? You ready for this? Because you will be fully redeemed. Whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. Now, I, I understand there may be some who will take that a little further and say, well, won't, won't we be engaging in, a worship, in the worship of God? Well, certainly, certainly, that, 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 that is the premise of it all. But he's giving us a city. We talked about this. Why would he give us a city if there's, if there's not activity, if there's not community, if there, if there are not these things that we associate with a city, you know, things happening. And I would contend we can go in and out because the gates are open. Why would the gates be open? Because it, it's unrestricted, full access. We're not left out. By the way, you know what, this, what else this says? Even talking about the kings that shall come into it, notice... Notice it's not like there's a bigger gate for the more important Christians. You know, the, the, there's a, oh, no, pastor, I'm sorry. You can't come in this gate. You got a pretty good gate over here. No, this, this one's reserved for Martin Luther, all right? No, this one's reserved for John MacArthur. Nope, sorry, you, this is the big one, all right, is for the big guys, all right? Those who are super duper important in the king. You know, there's nothing like that. 
it's, it's, it speaks of something that all of us have access to equally. And so again, there is this, this, this presence um, that we, we enjoy there. And I would, again, I would contend we could go then wherever else. By the way, we see how this chapter ends. It's not going to be any who enter it who can defile it or cause an abomination or a lie. Now, I would argue this answers another question that somebody may have. Because we can tell as we read this, it's on a much grander and more glorious scale, but this is a bookend to Genesis 1 and 2, right? God created a place for Adam and Eve. Now, this is of greater beauty, and again, it's spectacular, majestic, um, new heaven, new earth, all right? So, He creates a place for us to enjoy forever. Someone may think, well, can we blow it there? In other words, when we get there, can we do something that'll end up like what Adam and Eve did? No. No. There's not going to be any abomination. It's not going to be any lie. It's not going to be anything that will defile. This is forever. This is the end. There's not going to be any other books after this. There's there's not going to be any other kind of thing. This is it. And so we we are guaranteed this glory to come. All right, we'll stop there and see if there are questions. I know it's a bit early. It doesn't have anything to do with the Super Bowl, but I haven't stopped and asked questions for a while, all right? So we got a good amount of time where I can try and either answer or try and play both sides of the fence. All right, William, you were listening this morning. All right. Okay, if you didn't hear that, Williams asked the question, what purpose does the wall serve in heaven? And that's a good one. I, and I would argue the wall serves as an indication of a literal space God carves out for His people. Now, and in distinction from what we find in this world, why do we have walls in this world? To protect It's almost as if these walls are built in a way to say, I could have done that, but the gates are wide open and there's no need to do that. It's a way to express, I I would say, the the way God makes a place for His people to dwell. So I wouldn't read any more into the presence of the wall than just that. Now, you, you asked, you also mentioned, did the Garden of Eden have a wall? The Bible's not explicit on what it says, but it does describe a gate. A gate that an angel guards. An angel guards the entry to the Garden of Eden so that Adam and Eve could not enter back into it. So think about that in light of what we've just heard here. So I assume, by the way, William, because of that, that's all this is. I assume that there was some kind of then geographical, you know, marking of the Garden of Eden compared to what was outside of it. Okay? Yes. Uh, all right, okay. 
So this, this is going to get awkward. Okay, so William, William has then said, we can do whatever we want to do. And William said, I want to pet my dog. So this often is the question that gets asked, are there animals in heaven? But that's not really the question, right? What you're asking is, will my animals be in heaven? All right. You know I love you, right? You know I love you. I don't see any evidence in the Bible that suggests your animals that you had here on earth will be in heaven. Now, we do have references to animals post, you know, the, you know in the fullness of the kingdom, okay? So, all right, you know, I'll, I'll leave open just a bit of a door for you, but I don't, I don't see anything, and here's the problem. I know this is going to be hard for you to imagine because you're... Your pets are just absolutely precious. But at the same time, you should know, they are under the curse. They don't function as they should have. They don't. They do function under the curse of sin and death. That's why there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Because the entirety of the planet suffers under the curse. And in fact, Romans says that it groans. It groans longing for the return of Christ because it, it suffers under these things. So please don't leave here thinking I'm heartless and I don't like animals, all right? Okay, that is not the thing. Um, and, and I, you know, there, there, could be all kind, there could be all kinds of opinions. I'm just saying I don't find, I don't find any evidence of that in Scripture. But, but however, let me tell you this. You know I love you. Okay, your life in heaven without your animal will be infinitely better than your life here with it. All right. What's that? You can have a horse. Yes, yes. I can't promise a white one, all right? Uh, but, but yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Horses are great. They seem to be there. Uh, and you'll be able to, to ride it. And you'd never get sore. All right, isn't that great? Doesn't that sound great? Okay, so, that sounds, sounds good. All right, yes, Yvette. Okay, so the, the question that Yvette has asked, how do I deal with those who claim to have, so they've died, they physically died, and there's proof of that, but claim that in that moment, they were then ushered to heaven. They were given a vision of heaven, they've come back, and they have then explained what heaven looks like. Now, Yvette said it, that, that I may have to temper my answer. I, what does that mean? No, um, that's, that's not a strength uh, necessarily. So here's what I'd say. Now, I, I might sound a little sassier here to you, okay? If I had somebody in front of me who's claimed to have this, then, then I for sure would maybe show a little bit more you know, tact and consideration. Quite frankly, at the end of the day, my guess is we're going to have to agree to disagree, because they can't be proved. What, what, I, what I would say is, how I would encourage you, because there's been books written, right? Uh, and I even referenced one, like Heaven is, is for Real. I, I don't think it's a good book. In fact, I think it is a not good book. Um, and, and for a lot of reasons, the main one being, why would God do that? Because to me, it only seems to confuse things. 
So that would be a theological issue that, you know, that I'd want to then wrestle with with somebody. Why, why would he do that? Why would God, and, and you understand the way I'm about to use the phrase, why would God go to the trouble of giving me 66 books of the Bible only to come back around in 2000 and whatever and give a four-year-old kid a tour of heaven to come back so his dad can translate his four-year-old language into a book that makes it sound like he wasn't feeding him information, but he most certainly was, by the way. Um, Why would he do that? That doesn't seem to be the way God ever worked. That would mean these folks who've gotten a vision of heaven. Isaiah? Ezekiel? Paul? John? And some other dude? So what you're saying is, you are in line of two of the Old Testament's greatest prophets and two New Testament apostles. Oh, that seems like a hard sell to me. Why would God do this? So I'm inclined to suggest these these are not actual sightings of heaven. Um... Now, again, I'm not going to be difficult about it, um, and because I know people say, well, Pastor, I mean, I was there, I saw it, this, this, I saw this, this, and this, this is what it was, they'll, they'll give me the reasons. Okay, okay, we don't need to get mad about it. However, I'm not going to use anything somebody tells me they got in a vision of heaven. God has given me His Word. I'm to love His Word. To love his word. So that's what I'll love. I'll love, I'll love his word. So that, that's kind of how I would deal with it. I, I am doubtful of all of it. I'm doubtful of all of it. Uh, okay. All right. Good. Fred. Yeah, yeah. So Fred brings up the issue of like the lion and the lamb lying down together, the child picking up the snake, uh, these, these kinds of things. A return back to how, what would be the balance and beauty of, uh, of the Garden of Eden. So... News gonna, I knew somebody was going to ask it. All right, I tried to head this off. So Fred asked the question. All right, he did some math, and you math people will have to check the math. He said that means there's about 35 miles in between the gates. Okay, uh, I'll take your word for it. I think you carry the two and divide by pi. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have any idea. All right, uh, so he's saying there's people coming and going all the time. Where are they coming from, and where are they going? The simple answer, the new heaven and new earth. The new heaven and newer? That, and, and I would contend they have access to the very throne of God, which is not described as being in the new Jerusalem, right? The, the, what, what John sees earlier in the book, the throne, that you have to go, we didn't look at it necessarily in detail, go all the way back to like chapter 5. And, and what, what John sees in terms of the, the heavenly throne, that location will still be there. I would assume we'd have access to that too. So, so <laughs> there's, that's my best answer, all right? Uh, where are they coming from and going? Uh, they're going in and out. So, Dennis. Because I'm sitting behind Fred, this question is All right. Same in terms of 
two arms, two eyes, mouth. Is that what you, yes, okay. No, that's true. Yeah, no, that's true. It doesn't say that it actually al- alighted on the ground. It's 1,500 miles. That's, that's, here's the question. That's between 250 and 300 Mount Everest. So we have to breathe differently, or is there something that's changed? Okay, so the, que- so the question is, uh, you know, given the size of the wall, you know, of the city, 1,500 miles, um, Obviously, that takes you out of, say, the Earth's atmosphere as we know it now. Uh, so what, what does that mean? What, what, what are we like? What are our bodies like? I mean, really, the question could even extend, so what, what's the nature of our of heart, lungs, stomach, all that kind of thing? Um, I, I won't put it in exact details the way my middle son asked me many, many years ago when talking about heaven, but he did ask one time because we were potty training him. Dad, because he'd been talking to his older brother, Daniel, all right, and Daniel was laying out all of his theology, which had Micah confused, my middle son, and so he did, he did ask, do we go to the bathroom? He didn't ask that, all right, but he asked about number two, he said, do we go to the bathroom? And I said, you're going to need to ask your grandfather. That's exactly what I told him. Uh, so, so I understand the nature, the nature of our bodies will be like this one to some degree, but not then. And I would say then, because it's a new heaven, a new earth, it's just of a different thing that it is now. I think that'd be the simplest answer. Yeah. All right. So if you've got other questions, hold on to them till next week. We're finishing this all up next week. All right. And uh, we'll give some time then to other questions and uh, finish up our series on eschatology. All right. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you again for the gathering of your people. And we're grateful that we are your people, that our salvation is secured now and forever. We thank you for the promises that are ours now and forever. And Father, let us rest in those and let us recognize that, that, that while we think about these things and we have questions about what your word says and how all this works together, may we also recognize what is the imperative of living in faith and obedience now that all of this should really encourage confidence and courage in the world that we live in, that we can be faithful to you. We can face whatever trial, tribulation, or persecution may come our way because you have guaranteed this for us. So, Father, may may that then go with us as we go into the rest of this week. We thank you that this week lays out before us. You have given it to us, and we enter by faith, trusting you with our days, trusting you with our lives, Asking God that you would use us as a means to your end. May we be a people that glorify you in all that we do. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.